Welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the liturgy of the week ahead and the music that's inspired by it. With me, Tim Hutchinson. And with me, Nick Swarbrick. And what a week we have ahead of us. Uh, we've got so many feasts of so many saints today, but then we've also got Advent starting for us. Yeah. I think this is this is going to be one of our ex- most exciting seasons, and I think that's that's great. But Tim, you're going to start us off with a prayer. I shall. Taking the collect from the Sunday that is about to come, we pray. Grant your faithful, we pray, almighty God, the resolve to run forth to meet your Christ with righteous deeds at his coming, so that, gathered at his right hand, they may be worthy to possess the heavenly kingdom. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Yet again, we have those five wise virgins running out to meet the bridegroom. It's a, it's a recurrent theme for maybe for when the, the nights are drawing in and people are thinking more about, uh, about darkness and, uh, and about evening time. And it becomes, how do we Christianize that, that part of the day? Mm. And you know, we do it with that message. Keep your lamps lit, just like the hillbilly Thomists would tell us. Yes. Speaking of which, <laughs> what's the weather like there in Oxford? Absolutely freezing. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Everything Um, is covered with a layer of frost here. And I I cycled in with sunglasses on because of the glare that was coming off there. Yeah. Oh, it's not not quite as bad as that here. And in fact, I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing it's fading from the cars that are that are in the street near us. So it's not going to be too bad today, I hope. Uh, We'll have to see. We'll have to see. I was hoping for a sort of misty, misty morning because up here in Headington, above Oxford, the mist when it comes is absolutely magical. But I think we're not we're, we're going to be cheated of that today. All right. Well, I'm sure it'll come at some point in the next few days or so. Yeah, but we've got this period of transition, haven't we? We've got this this bit that I must admit I always love, and it's. I've never quite been able to figure out why I love it, but I like the change, not so much of the liturgical seasons, but the change of my breviary. Mm. Being able to take my my next breviary out, um, which is the dark blue one, which is nice because that's a kind of good advent color, uh, and uh, color, and um, set it all up and get it ready is one of those things that really makes me think, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do like the fact that the liturgical year starts with volume one as well, which yes. I think is great. So I'm looking here at volume two and thinking, have I got time to get it to the binders before um, before Ash Wednesday? I'll have to see. <laughs> Where do you send it? Uh, there's a there's a bindery just outside Oxford that oh, has nice. done my breviary fairly fairly regularly. The the my volume three has been done at least three times in the last whatever forty years. Mm. Um, and uh, we'll have to see what happens. Of course, we're going to be discussing the new psalms today um, because we've got a year before the new psalms in the lectionary come in. But also, you know, one of the things that has been promised or threatened or whatever you want to say is a new, the new psalms will also be in a new version of the breviary. 
I'm having to think, first of all, how I save up for it, but also, you know, <laughs> those things that I'm going to miss when we, yeah. when, when we move. Yeah. And uh, in fact, the psalm we come to today, we'll, we'll have a discussion about it. It's one of my favorites. Anyway. Yes. Another thing that changes now is the Marian Antiphons, don't Yeah. They? So we wanted to, to sort of play out the last Salve Regina. And um, do, you, do you want to say anything about, about no, no, that? No, 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 go for it, go for it. Well, let's, let's play this one and then we can talk about it. It's, it's very, uh, it, I feel like it comes at it at a slightly different angle. It's, um, again, Benjamin Nichols and the, the choir of Lincoln College, uh, which I say again because just before this program I, I played um, a piece from that same album sort of i must admit i was thinking of at least one setting of there is no rose for next week when it's the immaculate conception yeah yeah uh, but yes let's hear them singing the salve regina in a in a very different arrangement from the kind of ones that we've been used to on this program
I find it really hard to put my finger on what's what what is actually the mood of this, and it's it's completely different approach to the way that I would approach a Salve Regina. I mean, if you were to take the lyrics away and you just listen to the music, what would your impression of it be? Funnily enough, I thought about halfway through it, wouldn't this be nice as a brass ensemble piece? Ah. Um, it's all those different tones. And when we get to those final you know, bar- bars, you've got all those different chords, those different almost melodies playing against each other. Yeah. Um, and I, I really liked it because of that. I thought it was a powerful piece of music. But like you say, I... I would have wanted something in, no, I wouldn't have wanted something. I really like that. But if, if, if it were up to me to write something like that, I think I would probably go with the way that the prosody goes, with the way that the text goes mm-hmm. more than uh, the way that the, the music moves it. But I think that's of having all these different versions, these different translations. You've got something really powerful going when one person hears those words and does something with it, and then somebody else does it, something else. There's a Scarlatti one, which goes on for about 10 minutes mm. um, with instrumental bits in the middle, and you know, a, the, a soloist stands up and does a bit. It, that, again, has a more concerty feel to it, whereas that one did feel like something that, w- that would round off an even song in an Oxford chapel really well. Yeah. That's... Or a Cambridge chapel just to do the equal <laughs> <opportunity> stuff. <laughs> just to be inclusive. Um... <laughs> yes, inclusiveness in Oxford and Cambridge means you re- you include the other university, as we used to be called. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Yeah, well, there we go. So we've we've played that one out. We could say uh, the the thing that's that stood out for me was the the part which is really the crescendo of the 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 simple tone or not the simple tone the the um what do you call it the complex tone the it's just uh, the, the, the solemn tone solemn is what tone, I, sorry. I, I call it, yes of yeah. course yeah um where you know the oh clement oh um loving oh the, yes oh, that's right and, and in the simple one it's oh but you've got you know you go back to the original melody in the chant version you've got the oh yeah. depending on which version you're singing because they they all take those rather ornate notes differently and make mm. the syllables different. well this one yeah, was quite you... subdued uh, at first and yeah. i was thinking well that's interesting you know, it's a more kind of like meditative, like pondering on these different aspects of Our Lady. It doesn't invoke the sort of legendary Bernard of Clairvaux saying them spontaneously after having prayed the the Salve. Um, whether that's that's a, a a true story or not, I'm not sure. But I never knew that story. I'm oh, really? gobsmacked. That's an amazing version of the of, of how that thing came to be composed. It's great. Yes. Yeah, so he was. It was. It was an addition. That's that's how the story goes. That he, in a kind of ecstasy, just added these, uh, "Oh Clement, oh loving, oh sweet Virgin Mary" at the end. Wow. Yeah. I did have the the great privilege, although it was sneaky and I didn't ask anybody, so nobody gave me the privilege of singing <laughs> the Salve Regina in Lepuy Cathedral, which was probably where it was written. Oh, wow. And the I went there this time umpteen years ago, sometime in the 70s, and there was nobody in the cathedral at all. The whole place was completely deserted. And they have one of those very traditional black Madonnas, the same kind of thing as we see at Walsing and we see in various other places like uh, Montserrat, places like that. And I went and stood in front of her and I thought, 
nobody's going to listen apart from possibly her. And I sang it <laughs> and the whole place lit up. I mean, it was nobody switched the lights on, but they might as well have done because the acoustics were perfect wow. for it. Um, oh. those, those bah, 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 palms just kept going. It was just, it was just wonderful. Oh, uh, great story. That's wonderful. Um, I think, and I, I highly recommend anybody who's listening to this to, to do the same thing. You find yourself in a, in a uh, deserted church. Uh, what? How sad would it be if you didn't have a, a piece of plain chant up your sleeve? <laughs> well, I I was I I did it in in Roslyn Chapel uh, in Midlothian uh, fairly recently, and discovered something amazing about their roof bosses. If you stand to one side of them, it multiplies your voice. It sounds like there's five people singing when mm. there's just only you, and you get that sense of those things when you try them out in particularly in old churches. But dare I say it's also in most stone churches mm. that it, it, it sounds back from you uh, somebody asked me to sing uh, the in paradisum at, uh, at a funeral and i stood where it, where the cantor was supposed to sound it was like singing in the shower you know the, mm. the you know the hard walls just bounce it back to you and it sounds glorious it really does you're fighting against acoustics when you've got lots and lots of wood or lots and lots of cloth yeah yeah that's that's anyway. the little church where i'm in but they're rebuilding it hopefully with with some uh, better acoustics in mind. Now, we've played out the last Salve Regina for this program, at least. Um, and now we look at something that is to come, something that okay, we're going to well, hear a great deal of on Radio Maria, because we love playing. And it's a, there's a massive debate had here. Some, some years, nobody makes much of it, but I'm going to kick it off this year That's and it. say, do we say, do we sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, before the 17th of December? Hmm. Now, when we get to later in Advent, I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about the O antiphons, but I have heard it said that this shouldn't be sung until the latter half of Advent, or at least the last week, or maybe even the last week of Advent, because it reflects those antiphons that we sing during the um, uh, during Vespers of that week. You're right. Having said that, I don't know a single church that is going to be able to resist pressing that button on, on Sunday. Um, we normally wouldn't have music at uh, the 9.30 at Blackfriars on uh, uh, the first Sunday of a month, we've reorganized it so we're going to have at least a little bit of something because the congregation said, when I, when, when I said, you know, we're not sure about this, people said, we've got to have it on, we've got to have O Come, O Come, Emmanuel on the first Sunday. And, you know, in our own house prayers, when we had the kids living at home, we'd all gather every Sunday evening and sing at least one verse of this. Mm. It's the, it is the iconic song of modern, of, um, of modern musical liturgy in the West, I think. Yeah. Plenty of other songs. We'll hear plenty of them, but let's have some O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Which one do you fancy, Tim? So I just thought we'd play a very ordinary one uh, in English, sung by uh, the Choir of King's College. And Lovely. that gives us an opportunity to sort of have the, the bass line. This is what you'll, you'll probably be singing on a Sunday. But then there's so many different versions and so many different ways of, of singing it. A lot of contemporary Christian artists um, have done versions of it. So I thought that our excuse for playing it at this time, if, if we have no other one, is just that we need time to be able to get through different versions. So, <laughs> yes, here it that's is. one of the problems with Advent, actually. We have some gorgeous music, mm. but for a congregation to learn a piece, they don't get a chance to hear it again another week, week or so later. It's yeah. gone. 
you know, that, 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 then we're on to something else. It takes a while to get a, something innovative going, or it gets t time, and I'm going to throw another cat in among the liturgical pigeons here. It also, it takes some time to decide whether we're going to sing, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, oh, here he is, <laughs> or whether we're going to carry them on. I don't know what the version you've got for us is going to be, Tim, so I'm going to shut up until I... I don't know either, actually, because I can't remember... <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. Let's go.
Wasn't it lovely? Wasn't that great? I must I've admit been... that I, the reason why I didn't know was not because I couldn't remember, was actually I hadn't listened to the whole thing before I put it on. <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one because it, it, it doesn't flow in the way that um, I think perhaps people have adapted it to recently. You have to remember this is an 18th century hymn, and I think they're very true to those 18th century roots there. That, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, is a, is a walking pace, and it has a certain almost march, march to it. Whereas the way I tend to sing it is much more as if it were a kind of medieval sequence. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. And I... <clears throat> I do sometimes wonder whether I'm I'm providing a kind of fake route for it because let's face it, the chant is very different. Yeah, it is very different, and this shouldn't be a replacement for the chant. I want to put that in there because I have, oh, yeah. have seen that happen, and I think it's really sad. Well, depending on how our weeks go with the seventeenth, I think perhaps we ought to make sure we get at some or if, if at least one of the chant versions in there for in case anybody wants to use it if any if anybody wants to listen to it and get used to it and then try it themselves it's it's a beautiful piece of chant and uh, its history which we'll go into later in, in advent is very complex mm-hmm. so there's there used to be nine of them at one point uh, of, of those great o antiphons and yet what we've got here is a digest of some of them they're not quite in the liturgical order i don't necessarily see this as having to be linked to Vespers on the seventeenth of um, uh, the seventeenth of December, but mm. anyway, we, we we can discuss that at some point. Yeah. Um, there, there are also a, at least three versions knocking around. That one apparently claims to have been by um, I think Thomas Helmore, but it's complicated by the fact that the English hymnal version has the tune by Thomas Hel- uh, Helmore, but then the translation by Thomas Alexander Lacey. That's and, interesting because uh, what it says on my program notes is the translation is by J.M. Neal. J.M. Neal, yes, everybody thinks it is, but there, there I've got an incredibly tatty old version of, of uh, the English hymnal, and it it gives me it gives me T.A.L. there, and uh, the breviary says it's by Helmore. So, okay. so there. we can wrestle with that one with, <laughs> with J.M. Neal fans if they want to. Um, there's lots and lots for us to talk about about that hymn, its content, its style, and, the, and its links to the antiphons. Yeah. Shall we, however, go back to today? Yes, let's. Okay, now, well, you've today, mentioned that there are many saints today, but why is why are the vestments green down here in, in my little local church? Well, probably because they are not celebrating um, the the martyr that they could be celebrating, which is the uh, the the um, what do we call it? Judicial murder, the execution of um, the uh, abbots of Colchester. Okay. Three three abbots, three Benedictine abbots, as well as those Carthusians that we know very well, but were were bumped off by Cromwell's machine would be one way of putting putting it. Thomas Cromwell had them variously arraigned on various charges, mm-hmm. including the fact that um, uh, 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 Blessed Hugh Cook, who was abbot of Reading, was actually a friend of the king's. And it was a, it's, it must have been a worrying time. He was a hunting pal of the king's mm-hmm. and used to hunt in the, uh, in the woods and moorlands around, uh, around here. It's an interesting thought that yeah. even though the people close to the king were not safe. But what we've got is we've got Edmund Campion, 
um, and is celebrated particularly in Oxford, but you could also celebrate the other Oxford martyrs. There's an awful lot of, of uh, people passed from the university out to, uh, um, to um, training either in Rome or in Belgium and then came back and met their death. Edmund Campion stands as the hero of them all, I'm sure, but we've mm. got him. We've got Blessed Hugh Cook, we've got John Beach, and we've got Richard Whiting, the aged abbot of Glastonbury, who was hauled unceremoniously up onto Glastonbury Tower and hanged, hanged drawn and quartered at the age of, I think it was 73. Wow. Um, there was a sense of, to of Thomas Cromwell flexing his muscles here, saying, you know, nobody's safe. Um, not even respecting the the aged for it, um, but we've also got the the most recent uh, canonization is Charles de Foucault, and he yes. met his death in 1916, and uh, here we are celebrating someone who probably would have recoiled from the idea of having a, a cult a Sunday and and a feast day and things like that. He just saw himself as a little brother living in the desert, yeah. but that's a message for all of us as as the as the glories of the season and also the pomp of the season and the materialism of the season crowd in on us. Mm. We're celebrating to kick off December, somebody who lived among um, sometimes incomprehending and sometimes violent people. And it was there that he met his death and death as a martyr for the faith. Mm -hmm. A great hero in lots of ways. I went to his monastery in uh, where he was first received as a Cistercian um, uh, at the same time, in fact, as I was, um, uh, sing my little heart out in, in Le Puy Cathedral. Mm -hmm. And it's Notre Dame des Neiges, and you can understand why it was even, even in those days, you could feel, feel the chill coming. And I think it, it was a, a chilly, hilly, a chilly, hilly monastery. Mm -hmm. I do wonder whether the Cistercians in England were, were wiser to uh, put most of their monasteries down in, in not exactly comfortable valleys, but at least sheltered from the worst of the weather. Notre Dame des Neiges faces it full on. So anyway, let's move on. We've got those saints there. And if we've got Reformation martyrs here, one of the great um, hymns, one of the great antiphons that we also sing and celebrate in, um, in Advent is the, the sequence or the prose, whatever we call it, Rorate Celi De Super, drop down ye heavens from above and let the earth uh, bring forth righteousness. So I thought on the feast of St. Edmund Campion and still in the 400th anniversary of, of the year of Bird, we had to listen to, um, we had to listen to Bird's version of Rorate Celi De Super uh, from Elizabethan England. Um, we might have Judith Weir's one a bit later in the season. We'll see how we go. But this one, at least, is from Tudor Music for Advent and Christmas.
I love the journey that that piece takes you on and it feels like it could just carry on going over and over again. Yes, I haven't compared that second half that we faded out from to the first and how much it changes. I love that first one. and It struck, struck me not really knowing a great deal apart from how much I like it um, uh, about how he's composing it. But it struck me as a typical piece of bird. Those di different voices coming in with you like equal force is a very bird-like thing to yeah. be doing and doesn't have those talus um, dissonances to resolve it. So it's it's very much like his his um, uh, uh, some of his madrigals anyway. I think without the playfulness, but I think that's that's right and proper. But you really like that. What do you mean by journey, Tim? Well, I feel like it's it it in a sense that it, you you start to enjoy the actual um, the path. Uh, how do I put this? Like I was in one frame of mind, and suddenly I found myself transported to another, and I didn't want to leave. Let me put it that way. Maybe that's not. Uh, no, I get that. But yeah. isn't it interesting that three times you've used journey, you've used traveling metaphors. Have I? <laughs> uh, yeah, you said it's got a journey. What path are they on? You find All yourself right. in another place. It, it, that's something that music does. Yep. And I, I, I think you put your finger on it. That, that's what, probably that's what I'm, I look for in particularly Advent and Christmas music. It should take you to somewhere else. It should take you away from the plastic tree and the, and the, um, uh, the crowded shops and take you to somewhere that is just simply beauty, um, mm. beauty made manifest. And I, th I think that's absolutely the right image, Tim. Thank you so much. Yes. Now we move on to something quite different. Well, I thought this one, I mean, okay, this has got walked and walked in darkness, but, but really I, I like the fact that the music that we get at the front of Handel's Messiah is to a certain extent really quite sensitive to a liturgical period. And given the date of his writing it, the liturgy is not quite as expressive as perhaps uh, as Roman Catholics we'd be used to. But The People That Walked in Darkness is one of those pieces that really says, here is the darkness and we are going into the light. Um, and I do, I do think this is a, um, a wonderful way of us looking at the penitential uh, nature of this season. We tend not always to remember this is a time that if you haven't been to confession since Lent, or maybe it's your practice to go Advent and Lent, that's often been often been mine, now is the time to start getting ready for it. Now is the time to make sure you know when, when confessions are being heard or make an appointment with your confessor or whatever, to get ready to walk these, these steps into the light um, and here we've got, you know, the, uh, a beautiful bass um, introductory, uh, introductory piece and then uh, a wonderful aria com coming after it. I think it's worth our remembering those, those journeys that we're making. Hmm. Here it is.
by how accessible this music is 
I imagine the untrained ear can really be drawn in to all the little musical aspects of it because of the way that they're mimicked by the instruments after the voice has sung them. Yes, you're right. There's a lot, a lot of, of painting going on, particularly with the orchestra, I think, in, in Handel's Messiah. It's why I like those earlier, not uh, the recordings that hark back to an earlier musical discipline, mm-hmm. because actually you then get the tone, the tones that I suspect uh, Handel would have recognised himself, which I think is great. That, by the way, was was uh, Gwyn Howell uh, uh, singing with the Academy of St Martin on, in the fields under under Neville Mariner. And that was a great, a great recording. That's had such a voice. That man must have a chest like a barrel. Yeah, and it's, such good breathing control as well. I was listening to him and thinking, where does this man breathe? <laughs> well, in the days when I, uh, I used to sing countertenor, I used to try singing some of the countertenor arias and the breathing in them is absolutely appalling. Hmm. If, we, if, if, we, if we moan from time to time about a long melisma in Gregorian chant, you've never tried singing the countertenor falsetto for four years like a refiner's fire with the trills in it. And that is, you know, it's a real challenging thing. And the, the musicians that he had at his original command must have been highly skilled people. Yeah, yeah definitely. Right. Now, I don't want us to run out of time because we've still got some good music to get through and a little bit of singing. Okay, well, let's move straight on to uh, the first of the great introits for Advent. And this is the Ad Te Levavi, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Um, And you've got uh, the recording here from the monks and choir boys of Downside Abbey for us, haven't you? You do. That's right. So let's, uh, I'm going to drop us in sort of midway um so we can get too close at least to the um to the antiphon itself lovely takes me right back to one of the very first pieces of plain chant that I ever learnt uh, when I was at Mount St. Bernard Abbey. And I think that the Cistercian version is almost identical to this one. It's a beautiful piece, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. Um, 
Uh, lovely. Let's let's. I'm mindful of time. Shall we move on to uh, the the issue that is burning a hole in my <laughs> in my liturgical pocket, and that is the move to the new translations of the Psalms, the new lectionary. Um, I've got I've got in front of me, and I hope you've got it too. Um, the two texts, the current Psalms, which are the the Grail Psalms, and I've also got the the uh, the new Psalm and its new version. Shall we try reading one at a time? There's only three verses for each one. I don't actually have it. Um, you'll have to give me a moment. So sorry, we're looking at which Psalm are we looking at? We're looking at uh, O Shepherd of Israel, hear us. So that's Psalm seventy-nine. Um, I've got them both in front of me if you want to just leave it to me. But yes, I think let's leave it to you. Yep. Okay, fine. Well, the Grail ver version goes like this. O shepherd of Israel, hear us. Shine forth from your cherubim throne. O Lord, Lord, rouse up your might. O Lord, come to our help. The new translation goes like this. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Stir up your might and come to save us. They're very interesting. Um, because of the way that the Grail Psalms were written to be sung with that sprung rhythm, which the, um, uh, the scholars were saying at the time is, is at the heart of um, the, the poetry of the Old Testament, um, they, they work in a particular way. The new Psalms don't work like that because the, the, the verses, um, the lines are of different length. That makes them quite tricky to sing. And we need to get an ear for how those work, I think. Um, shall I read another verse? Yeah. Okay, so the next verse goes, God of hosts, turn again, we implore. Look down from heaven and see. Visit this vine and protect it. The vine your right hand has planted. Whereas the new one goes, turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock which your right hand planted. You've just got to be aware if there are going to be different ways of singing these. Mm. And I really do think that it's probably time for music coordinators to just start thinking about how they're going to do this next year, because otherwise November and then December is going to come as a bit of a shock. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be surprised how difficult it is, even when you have the text in front of you and is perfectly marked when you've been singing these even just for a few years, like I have, um, I, I mean, you've been singing them for for decades. Uh, yeah, it's really hard, really hard to 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 change. As I once heard a, a monk say, "Your eye sees one thing, but your tongue does another." Yes, absolutely. Though I do remember a, a community absolutely um, dissolving during Comp Compline once because an aged monk read, "It is he who will free you from the hair of the snunter." <laughs> um, and at that point, sort of ten people are just in fits. Uh, you know, these uh, things, these things happen. The Franciscans over in Oxford uh, told me a story once where they were they were reading the, the they were doing the scripture verse at the end of Compline for Friday, I think it was, and it was um, uh, a the, somewhere outside a, a cat started moaning, and then the brother read. Um, you know, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, <laughs> and they all just lost it completely. That is such a Franciscan story, isn't it? It's That's <laughs> true. That's very true. <laughs> Lovely. Um, have we got time to play the uh, yeah, Psalm? Yeah, let's do it. I think, I think we have to. So what we're going to do is we're going to pick a... We're going to pick one of the... the 
the psalm turns at random. I've got a random number generator in front of me. And Nick, you're going to sing the psalm to the new translation. I'm going to attempt to sing the psalm to whichever tone your random number generator gives us. Okay. There are eight tones, but of course, to that, we can also add the uh, the tonus peregrinus, the pilgrim tone, and the uh, tone in uh, the irregular tone, which is probably my favourite, and the tonus indirectum, which is basically there if you haven't got another tone to to, to sing. Okay, have you so figured I'm, out which numbers you're giving those ones? Because so I was giving um, if we go as far as eight, and then tonus peregrinus would be nine, irregularis would be ten, and eleven would be tonus indirectum. Okay, I'm glad we clarified that. So I have here my digital eleven-sided die. And I'm going to roll it proverbially. I'm really nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You have got 11. Excellent. That's the easiest one, which was, <laughs> really means I really am going to fall flat on my face. So that goes, um, Hic tonus hic incipitur cyclectitur, exit mediatur, adque sic finitur. So there's no real problem with the end. Okay. The end is just a tone. So let's see how we go. So we go, um, if we went... Um, give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth, shine for stir up your might and come to save us. It's a fairly easy one, but I did exactly what you were saying there. My, my, my brain was reading one thing, in fact, of two texts here, but I just thought, I know this song. It goes, O shepherd of Israel, here is you who lead Joseph's flock. No, it doesn't. It's talking about enthroned on the cherubim because there's a, there's a line missing. Have another missing. go, Nick. Have another go. Okay. Well, let's give us another number then. Um, okay. If you want to do a different one, let's see. Uh, number generator. And we're rolling. We're rolling. Seven. Seven. Okay. The trickiest one. Thank you I so much. Seven. Why do you love seven so much? Oh, it's, because it's tricky. <laughs> I don't know. It just it it has such a lovely um, it, almost like a questioning kind of uh, ending. You know, cadence yes. to it. Yeah. So it's hapti uh, himos modus sic incipitur et sic flectitur et sic mediatur atque sic finitur. Mm. So I'm going to go, turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see, have regard for this vine, the stock which your right hand has planted. Nailed it. The way, the way I would go with that. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go, down, go back to some proper music now, Tim. Oh, have we come got... on, that was wonderful. That was great. <laughs> It was fun, and it does say, you know, we're all we are going to survive next next Advent. It's not as as earth shattering as it need to be. If I can do that completely unprepared, I'm sure better musicians than I can cope with it next year. Lovely. Um, we'll think again about Psalms a little bit later in Advent, I'm sure. And as the time comes closer to the changes, we'll think again. Uh, what do you want to do now, Tim? We've, how are we doing for time? Do you fancy looking at the Advent evening hymn or shall we move straight to an Alma, Alma Redemptoris Mater? I think let's go to the Alma Redemptoris Mater and then we'll save the, the uh, hymn for next next week. Okay, yeah. I, I have a great love for the Creator Alme Siderum, the great Advent evening hymn. Let's give it its proper space and time yeah. next time. And that's a great or, or time. Or even the time after that, because we do have um, a big feast day next week. We have we'll... a major feast yeah. day. We do, yes, of course. And possibly a shorter program. Are we starting starting earlier? We will be starting a bit earlier. So so just bear that in mind, dear listener. 
we hope to be doing the full hour though. Right. Uh, so that, that is the hope, yeah. So let's look at, I want us to play just the simple tone uh, sure. so we can compare these pieces first. So here is sung by the wonderful nuns of uh, St. Cecilia's Abbey on the Isle of Wight, Alma Redemptoris Mater. Simple tone. So wonderfully childlike, I can imagine a little girl singing, sort of singing this as she runs through the fields. And oh yeah, it has that sense almost of of um, not so much nursery rhyme, but folk song about it, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah, and a bit of something slightly spontaneous about it as well. It's not altogether planned or prepared or composed, and um, yeah, definitely has a, a youthful sort of. Um, life in it but now let's it's listen interesting you should say that because i just my class yesterday was on children's spontaneous singing mm. and i'm now going to listen to that in the context of what they call invented song that's amazing thank wow. you so much i hope people heard the beginning of that because we're going to hear it reinvented by guillaume dufay here in the more in a one that's based on the more elaborate um solemn tone yes well here it is here it goes
so glad that you pointed out that little connection between the two and how it sort of takes it and pauses on it and then extends it into um slightly higher i think than it was then it goes yeah it goes up so whereas the other one goes ha 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 and way above my Mm. range and then comes back down again and it's almost like you've blown a bubble into the air and you watch it coming down it comes down so gently and so quietly like a beautiful beautiful antiphon and i I must admit both the that very plain simple version from saint cecilia's and that rather wonderful one from um uh, the uh from pomerium and their album, The Virgin in the Temple. They've had beautiful pieces of music. It's a shame, if you like, that nowadays we don't hear them as much as perhaps we, we may have done in the past. Yes. Well, thank you so much for choosing that one. I really enjoyed it. And it's been. Well, we have more of them as, as Advent and, and Christmas Tide go on, because, of yes. course, Christmas Tide is also the, the season in which we sing the Alma Redemptoris. I was also really chuffed. I, I, I said to you, but I'm going to share with the, the listeners that my, my, my autocomplete on my, Google, um, uh, on my Google documents now has Redemptoris in it as something that it will correct my spellings for. <laughs> it's gradually, gradually learning who I am and what I'm interested in. It's time to go, though, Tim, I'm afraid, isn't it? It is time to go. So thank you so much, uh, dear listener, for joining us for the Liturgical Looking Glass. It is always a pleasure for us to be able to present you with the liturgy of the week to come and music that is inspired by it and to be talking about it. Um, And we look forward to being with you again next week. So from me, Tim Hutchinson. And from me, Nick Swarbrick. We'll see you next week and God bless. God bless everybody. Angelus Domini, Nuncia Vit Maria, Spiritus Sanctus.